to the Lord in Gracious Father, we thank you for how great you are. We thank you for your wisdom you gave to us, your word. Reveal unto us, Father God, first and foremost, your character. And then to reveal, Father God, to us how we are to respond to that character in our daily lives. Father, we thank you that you gave to us your word and gave to us the challenge, Father, by the privilege of preaching, Father, to declare it. So we have today that as we take time to come around your word, that you would encourage us through it, challenge by it, direct our steps, Father God, and we pray that you would just embed your word into our hearts that we might leave this place this day, having known that we've been in your presence, and Lord, rejoicing in the knowledge of your truth. Lord, give me wisdom, I pray, from on high this day, that I might speak only that which you would have me speak. I'd say nothing, Father God, that is contrary to your truth. But Lord, today we receive from you that which you intend for us to receive. Lord, that you give me wisdom as your servant to be faithful in the transmission of your truth to your glory. Bless now this time around your word, we pray. May you receive all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of us who are saved, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, are often called the Word of God, the sons of God. And here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, the says that. He says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. And as sons, you and I have been given some wonderful benefits which are recorded for us throughout the New Testament. Uh, this relationship of sonship, this relationship of being God's children brings with it some glorious benefits, not the least found there in verse 17. Whereas, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joined heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We are heirs of God, joined heirs with Christ. So Paul lists for us here in verses 14 to 17 some of these excellent benefits which belong to all true believers. But in the midst of this section, verses 14 to 17, there is one verse that is truly wonderful. And it's saying, it says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. First, we see some wonderful benefits of sonship. Also, because today is Father's Day, we can see described for us three examples of what our homes ought to be or not to be in this verse. And it's these three examples that I want us to note today out of verse 15. First of all, our homes ought not to be a place of bondage. Verse 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You know, one of the great privileges of sonship is that you and I have been delivered from bondage. You and I have been set free. We've been delivered from the bondage of fear. When you and I were unsaved, we were chained to sin. You and I were in bondage to sin. We were in the slave market of sin. There was no freedom for you and I. And you and I were in bondage. This word describes it. 
And yet now we have not the spirit of bondage. It's clear the Bible says now that we're saved. For as many as led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage. You and I are not in the spirit of bondage anymore. This is a certain fact. We have not the spirit that binds us. We have not the spirit of slave. We are not the spirit that produces fear. We have not the spirit of bondage. We've been set free. The word bondage here carries the idea of slavery. You see, the slave in the ancient world was in bondage to master. The slave was under constant uh, fear of the master, under constant alarm of the master. The, these slaves were just uh, purchased uh, in the slave market, and they were uh, just goods to be owned by the master to do with as he pleases. And many a master was cruel to their servants, their slaves. They were in bondage. They had no means of freedom, no means of getting away from the master, no means of living on their own and making their own lives. They were in bondage. They'd been sold into slavery. And that was the condition of every one of us before salvation. Before you and I were saved, we were in bondage. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5, please. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Before salvation, you and I were in the yoke of bondage. You and I were constrained by sin. You and I were slaves to sin. You and I were simply uh, under its control. We were in bondage. But once you and I were saved, once you and I placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, once we acknowledged that we were sinners before a holy God and we believed on Him for our salvation and on Him alone for that, God gave to you and I freedom. God does not give to us His Spirit to bring us into bondage. He does not give us a Spirit to enslave us like sin does. But when God gave to you and I the indwelling Holy Spirit, He gave to us the Spirit of God to indwell us at salvation, that you and I might be free. That you and I might stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith He hath made us free. We've been set free. You and I are not in bondage. The chains have been broken. You and I have been set free from the chains of sin. We've not been brought into bondage at salvation we have liberty. Look in 5 verse 13 of Galatians, as you're still there, Galatians 5 13. For brethren, you have not been called, uh, uh, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. Brethren, you have been called unto liberty. We've been set free. The book of Galatians is all about our freedom. In fact, Paul in Galatians is surprised at how quickly they have walked away from the liberty they have in Christ. And how quickly they become enslaved to sin again. And he tells them to, to stand fast in that liberty, stand fast in the freedom they have in Christ, and walk away from the bondage of sin. And be free. We're no longer in bondage. We're no longer servants. Once we're saved, we are children of God. As verse 14 says, For as many as led by the this is chapter 8 of Romans, led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. No longer slaves, we are his children. And as sons, we have the spirit of freedom and confidence. 
the spirit of children, not the spirit of slaves. Go back with me, if you would, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And verse 31. John 8, 31. Then said Jesus to the Jews, which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The answer to him, we be Abraham's seed, and we never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall make, uh, ye shall made free? Jesus answers him, verily I say, verily, verily I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. You see, if you and I know Jesus Christ as Savior, then you and I have been set free. You and I have been made free in Christ. We're no longer in bondage. We're not servants. Slaves are the only ones in bondage. You and I are children, and sons are not in bondage. The Holy Spirit, which we received as salvation, does not impart upon us bondage. It does not uh, produce a slavish and anxious spirit within us. He does not seek to bring you and I into a place whereby we're constrained in the chains of bondage as those chains experienced by those who are under the law, those who are sinners who have never been saved. But he produces in us feelings of affection, feelings of reverence, feelings of confidence in God. He gives to us peace. As Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, he gives to us a peace that passeth all understanding. He enables us out of the fullness of our hearts to call God our Father. As believers, we have a sense of freedom, a genuine liberty in Christ. You know, our homes, therefore, ought to be places that produce similar feelings of affection, of reverence, of confidence in God, and confidence in Dad, and confidence in Mum. As believers, we need to ensure that our homes are not places of bondage or places where our children feel in bondage. But they ought to be places that reflect the very character of God, like the relationship that you and I have with God. You and I have been free you and I have confidence in God. You and I have a relationship to God. You and I have feelings of affection towards God, reverence towards Him. Because you and I look at Him and we call Him our Father, our Heavenly Father, and you and I bow the knee before Him in reverence because of who He is, not because we fear Him, not because we're enslaved to Him, not because we're in bondage, but because He set us free. And our homes ought to be the same. Our homes ought not to be a place of bondage or a place where our children feel in bondage, but a place where they experience the love of God, a place where they feel confident, a place where they feel uh, 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 security, a place where they show reverence to their parents because their parents are demonstrating the very character of God in the home. And to do that, dads, we need to reflect the character of God to our children. Our children need to be able to look at us as dads and be able to see Christ in us, the hope of glory. They ought to see in us as dads 
something that reflects the very character of God, that relationship we have with God, the, the joy we have in the Lord, the joy of serving Him, the joy of living for Him, the excitement of His will, the excitement of prayer, the excitement of reading the Word, the excitement of going to church, that that children observe in us that there's a real joy in this matter of relationship with God, and they see it, they see the freedom we have in Christ, and this reflect in the home, and they feel the same security, they feel the same confidence, they feel the same respect, they feel the same joy in the home, because we as dads are reflecting the character of Christ to our children. You know, there's one place we ought to feel, all of us ought to feel free to be ourselves. It ought to be in the home. You know, the one place in this world where you and I can simply be ourselves, it ought to be at home. It's the place where we get accepted for being what we are. With all of our funny idiosyncrasies, with all of our quirky ways, with all of our funny things that we are, you know, where kids say, oh, Dad... And all kids say that of dad sometime along the way. Because they see the funny things we do, the quirky things we do. They know us inside out. And all about us, but they ought to feel, all of us ought to feel that that's what home is. A place where we can be ourselves without fear of being ourselves. Well, home ought to be a place of joy. A place of bondage. You know, as, as children are heading home from school or heading home from work, it ought to be a joy that they're going home, not thinking to myself, oh, I just don't want to go to that place. Oh, I wish I'd go somewhere else. But it ought to be a place where they want to go to, the place where they want to go to, to spend time, that they enjoy being with dad and mum. Home ought to reflect the very character of God. And you'll only do that, dads, as we know God. Not that we know about God, but we know him intimately. We know him personally. That we are saved, first and foremost. That we know Jesus Christ as Savior, that we can say with confidence that I know a time and a place in my life where I trusted Jesus Christ to save me and I'm on my way to heaven. That first and foremost, we know him as his children, but we also know him intimately through a personal daily, daily relationship with the Lord, that you and I know him. And because we know him, we reflect his character to our children. Our homes ought not to be a place of bondage. Secondly, our homes ought not to be a place of fear. Verse 15 again, Romans 8, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You know, fear enslaves. Fear hinders. Fear stops you and I from doing many things. And the fact of the matter is that when you and I got saved, we become the sons of God. God's desire is to dispel fear. Notice what it says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. The only is that you should not again be afraid, that you should not again be subject to fear. When you and I were saved, God took away fear. That's his desire. That you and I no longer live in fear, that you and I live 
in confidence that you and I have our confidence in him. Now this implies, this again the fear implies that their state was one of fear, that the, they were in a state of servitude and that servitude had a tendency to produce alarm. Just as the image of the servant. The servant was lived in constant fear of their master. Afraid that they might displease their master, displease the one that bought them and therefore because they were living in that relationship they constantly lived in fear of the consequences of what the master might do to them if they did not toe the line and every sinner without the savior is subject to such fear you know the unsay is everything of which to be alarmed doesn't he God is angry with him. That ought to strike fear in the heart of the unsaved. God is angry with him. They are, they are at, the, uh, at the behest of God's wrath. If they don't trust Jesus Christ, their Savior, if they don't acknowledge themselves as sinner before a holy God, they will experience the full wrath of Almighty God poured out upon them when they're cast to the lake of fire for all of eternity. They're enmity with God. They're enemy, enemies of God. God is angry with them in that sense. And his conscience, the unsaved conscience, will trouble him. Unsaved people just don't, are restless. Unsaved people have a restless conscience. They, there's, there's nothing that satisfies. They seek for satisfaction in all sorts of places. They seek for satisfaction in entertainment. They seek for satisfaction in in uh, uh, drugs and, and other things, stimulants. They seek for satisfa satisfaction in employment, in careers. They look for satisfaction every which way. But the truth of the matter is, the unsaved has no satisfaction. There is no peace. They're troubled. He has everything to fear in death and eternity. Death is not something the unsaved looks forward to. Death is something that holds an unknown for them. Death is something that causes them to fear. Just go along to the funeral of an unsaved person and realize how much grief and anguish and agony are in the hearts of the people who have now seen that loved one pass away and they know not where that loved one is, but then go to the funeral of a saved person and go along and sit in that service and realize that there's, there's a sense of a longing, a sense of yearning, and there's a sense of missing that one that's died. And yes, there's even a sense of uh, a bereavement, but there is a joy that passes understanding in the heart of the believer because they know they will see them again one day, that this life is just the beginning. Eternity beckons. There is a difference. The unsaved are continually... In fear. But not so the Christian. We've been set free. Christ says, peace I give unto thee, my peace I leave with thee. God wants you and I to have peace. That there is, there is a settledness about us. There's a confidence about us. You know, God is not angry with us. God is our Father. And he loves us. You and I can have a clear conscience because we can live in agreement with God and according to his will. And you and I have confidence for, the, for death and the eternity because we know where we're going. 
The Spirit of God would not even think of filling us with fear and dread. It's interesting in verse 15 here, the first word spirit, which is translated in small letters, and the second word spirit, which is translated with a capital S, speaking of the Holy Spirit, is the same Greek word. And uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, the commentators are divided over whether the first one is our spirit or whether the first one is the Holy Spirit. But I think what he's saying is he's saying that now that you and I have the Spirit of God, he has not given us a spirit of fear. He didn't, when the Holy Spirit came to dwell within us, he didn't bring us into bondage and he didn't bring us into fear. What God intended with giving us the Holy Spirit was to set us free and to give us, uh, free us from fear. The Spirit would not even think of filling us with fear and dread. The Spirit of God fills us with a sense of freedom, fills us with a sense of confidence, a sense of peace, a sense of safety. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Beloved, our homes, therefore, ought to be places that hold no fear for our children. They ought to be places of safety and security. Home ought to be the place where children have no fear. A place where they simply feel safe. You know, it ought to be the place that they can run to when they are fearful, knowing that that's the place that is safe. That's the place of confidence. That's the place of comfort. That's the place of security. There is no fear in the home. A place that reflects our relationship to God. Since fear has dispelled our relationship with the family of God, so fear will be dispelled in our homes. We trust God and teach our children to do the same. You see, if you and I are living in relationship with the Lord and you and I are experiencing the freedom that comes by knowing Christ, then that's reflected in our homes. Children ought to also experience that same sense of lack of fear. There ought to be a place of peace, a place of confidence, a place of rejoicing, no matter how difficult times may be. There's something that's exciting about being in God's family and being in a family that loves God. You know, when I was growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, and I, I can testify at times that sometimes were tough and difficult. But you know, one place that always was free from fear, it was home. It was nice to go home. And even when, you know, at times we were doing it tough and there was not any guarantee of food on the table, my mum and dad, because of the Lord, showed us that we had confidence in God. There was nothing that God would supply. I can remember many a day, particularly when my dad was in Bible college, many a day where we had no food and we'd open up the front door and there would be a package of food sitting on the front veranda for us. One day there was a massive fish sitting on the front veranda, wrapped up in paper. Somebody gone fishing that morning, brought the fish, wrapped it in a newspaper and put it on the front veranda. There was this fresh fish. Fish for days. That's why I'm not a great fish fan anymore. I don't know. But uh, they, uh, uh, I can remember those days. 
And I look back on those days with, with joy and excitement how God took care of our family, uh, even in the times of difficulty. But you know, it's home was always a place of safety. It was always a place whereby I knew there was no fear. It was a place whereby you could just feel confident and secure. I mean, how difficult the times. And that's how our homes ought to be. Notice the contrast here in verse 15. It says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. It speaks of feelings of affection, love, and confidence as children. We're not slaves, but sons. Therefore, uh, there's nothing to fear. There's not a trembling spirit of slaves in our hearts but a tender and affectionate position as sons of the children of God. Now, adoption here is the taking of a son and giving to that, him all the rights and privileges of adult sonship. It's kind of a double whammy sonship. You are a son by birth and you then receive all the privileges of that sonship through adoption. In the Roman world, as I'm sure many of you know, in the Roman world, a son was, uh, was, was born in a Roman family, particularly a high-class family. A son born in a high-class family was, uh, was not recognized as a son initially until the age of 12. What would happen is that son would be given to the servants to be raised for the first 12 years of his life. And the father would uh, 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 watch him and would would observe him effectively. That child was a slave. That child was in bondage for 12 years. He was a son by birth, but not by practice. And the father would watch that child and see that child, and then there would be a ceremony at 12 years of age where the father would take the child, the coming of age ceremony where the father would take the child and accept him back into the family and as he restored him into the family, he also restored to him, or he gave to him, all the rights and privileges of adult sonship. So for 12 years, he had no rights and privileges of sonship, but then when he was adopted by his father back into the family, he received all the rights and all the privileges, not just of being a 12-year-old son, but all the rights and privileges of adult sonship. And that's the picture here that God's talking about. And you see it again in Galatians. You and I are sons by birth, by the new birth. For if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is his. Okay, if he's saved, if he's one of the children of God, then he is the son of God. As it says in verse 14, for as many as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so we're saved, we're born into his family and we become the children of God at the new birth. But at new birth also, you and I are adopted into the family of God. You and I are given all the rights and all the privileges of adult sonship. That's verse 17, part of it, that is, that you and I are heirs, heirs of God, joined heirs with Christ. You and I have been adopted into the family. And that works to bring in genuine love to God as our Father, as our Father loves us. Go to Galatians chapter 4, please. Galatians chapter 4. Let 
And commence to read in verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are sons at salvation. We're adopted into this family at salvation. And you and I have all the rights and privileges that go with that. So not only are we saved and therefore children of God, but we've been adopted into the family of God with all the rights and privileges of our sonship. Therefore we have nothing to fear. We're free. We're the children of God. So we delight ourselves in him, we depend upon him as our father. And while you and I do not adopt our children in Western culture, we do need to generate in our children the feeling of affection, the feeling of love, the feeling of confidence that the Spirit generates in us. So they are not only our children by birth, but they feel like they're part of the family. That they really do believe they belong. That this is their home, that this is their family, that they belong here. It's a sad indictment upon society today, isn't it? There are some children in our society that do not feel part of a family, even though they were born into that family. They don't feel at home in that home. They fear going to that home. They feel in bondage in that home. And the only thing they want to do is, as early as possible, is leave that home and go live somewhere else, some of them living on the streets. Should that be true of our children? Our children ought to feel like they're part of the family. They ought to feel affection and love. That will only happen as they're free from fear. Our homes ought to be a place of safety, a place of fear. That's what we're told in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Bring them up in the next generation of the Lord. Don't provoke them. That means don't exasperate them. Don't frustrate them. Don't badger them. Don't wound them. Don't humiliate them. Make them feel loved. That doesn't mean we can't correct them because correction is an act of love. Isn't that what Hebrews tells us? Hebrews 12 tells us about us, that you and I, if we're children, then you and I will experience the chastening of the Lord. And if you don't have the chastening of the Lord, then you're not his sons at all. You're illegitimate children. So it's, it's legitimate for you and I to discipline our children, to show them when they're wrong, because that's an act of love. To correct them is an act of love. But you and I also need to generate in them, uh, uh, not fear, but a joy of being there. That they understand even the act of reaction is an act of love. 
they understand that then we don't frustrate them, we don't exasperate them, we don't badger them, we don't wound them, we don't humiliate them, but they feel like they're part of the family and enjoy being in the family and it's a joy to call them up, them their parent, as their parents. In a sense that they're proud of their parents. Josh McDowell said this, he said, rules without relationships make rebellion. Rules without relationships make rebellion. And our homes, dads, must be places that reflect the character of God. Be places free from fear. They need to be places of security, places of safety, places of peace. Homes that are built upon a relationship with God. A relationship, therefore, with each other based upon our relationship with God. Not based upon rules alone and regulations alone, but regulations built upon a relationship that's built upon love and affection and therefore respect. A place that holds no fear for our children. Just like our relationship to God the Father. Therefore, our home should be a place of genuine love. Not a place of bondage, not a place of fear, but a place of genuine love. Look in verse 15 at the end of the verse. It says, But you've not received, but you've received this adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. As children need protection and help, we cry out to God, our Father, with confidence. And we can say, Abba, Father. Which means to express towards him the feelings due to a father. To call upon him, to address him in the language of affection and endearing confidence. To seek his protection and aid. You and I are not in bondage. You and I have not fear. You and I are adopted into his family. And therefore we can call out with confidence to our Heavenly Father, Abba, Father. The word Abba here is a Chaldee word. It means Father. So really it's saying that we cry out, Father, Father. Now why the Apostle repeats the word in a different language is not known. He does it here, he does it again in Galatians, he does it in one other place. Why it is that he didn't write it both in Greek, why he wrote one in Chaldean and one in Greek, we don't know. But more than likely, it's probably that the repetition here simply is for the purpose of intensity. That it's Abba, Father, that there's an intensity about this. Rather than just saying Father, Father, in two different languages, it's spelling out this this richness of this relationship that we have with God, our Father. It's not just He's our Heavenly Father, but He is our Father, Father. It's Abba, Father. A deep relationship with Him that, that is deeper than just simply saying God's our Father. It's easy to say, Arthur, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you know, those just don't mean much, but then when you add the word Abba, Father, it adds this intensity to it and that seems to be the purpose it's designed to convey the idea of intimacy 
of affection of a child to a father. And not to be irreverent, but to put it in the kind of language we understand, it's like somebody calling father, daddy. You know, he's my father or he's my dad. There's something about the name dad, isn't there? There's something about that name dad that's different than calling your father. I mean, usually when we get called fathers because the kids are a bit disgusted with it, you know, oh, father, you really have to, you know. But dad is that, that, particularly when they're little, not so much when they get older, but when they're little, you know, and they call you daddy or dad, there's something about that word that's special. I, I, I just is different from calling you just father. Father has, has a tendency, you know, I, I often think, when, you know the word father to me reminds me of those children who are sent off to boarding school in, in England, you know, they're from the upper crust, you know, and they call their dad father, you know, my father this and my father that. It has this air of authority. But dad has that air of intimacy about it. And I think that's what the apostles trying to get at here I think he's trying to say this is more than just a father-son relationship. This is an intimate relationship, that of a dad with a child. It's like, like little children begging their parents, saying, Father, Father, or Dad, Dad. It's intimate. It speaks of a special relationship that we have as the sons of God. Sometimes a cry of father or a cry of daddy is all that's required, isn't it? You know, when you hear those words, dad, dad, there's something about those words. Or you hear it you know, in, in panic, you know, dad, there's something about those words. It just speaks about a relationship you have with that child. And that child is crying out to you in an intimate way for help or for something or attention, whatever it might be, there is a something going on that's special it speaks of love it speaks of affection it speaks of confidence speaks of security this should be true in our homes also you know our children ought to love to call us dad they really should they they should love calling us dad it should be something they enjoy dad ought not to spark fear in them Or to engender in them joy. You know, the thought that daddy's coming home, not knowing, not the cause of them running to their bedroom and hiding under the bed. The thought that daddy's coming home ought to cause them to run to the door to welcome him. They ought to be glad to see dad. The name dad ought to invoke in them feelings of love, feelings of affection, feelings of joy, feelings of confidence, feelings of security. Now the name ought to speak of freedom and dispel any fear. Our children only cry out to us this way if indeed they know that we love them. That we have a genuine, deep, love and affection for them and only when they have by experience learned to have confidence in us will we be able to cry out dad that's why we're told in chapter 6 verse 4 we're to bring them up in the new image of the Lord for violence but not children of wrath 
for bring them up and nurture them which the Lord teach them the things of God we're to bring and nurture them we are to admonish them and as we make our homes place of safety as we instill in our children confidence so they can depend upon us so they can depend upon our word to be true they'll be able to call us back with confidence you know we only have our children at home for a short time we need to make the most of it you know uh, my children are all grown and that didn't take long in fact, scaringly too short of how quick it got for my children, two of them in particular from, you know, one standing on the front row here, turning around facing and singing to everybody else on Sunday mornings, and Bob coming down and taking care of them and looking after them on Sunday mornings. It's not long ago that that all happened. And now they're all grown. They still all call me Dad, which is nice. And I trust they all still like seeing me, which I think they do, which is nice. There's nothing like, you know, a, a little one running towards you and saying, Dad. There's something special, too, about them coming up and saying, Granddad or Grandpa. Well, I've only them running towards me and hugging me and saying, Grandpa. Problem is, they're getting older now, too. Not long before they don't want to do that either. We don't have them for very long. We need to make the most of it. We need to make our homes places that are of confidence, where our children feel in bondage, where our children don't sense fear, but a place where they feel secure, they feel loved, they feel safe, and so they can cry out to us, Daddy. Just like we feel with our Heavenly Father, so we cry out to Him, Abba. That will take from you and I as parents to be consistent in our dealings with our children. That we do indeed bring them up in the nurture and mission of the Lord. Home ought to be a place of sweet, intimate joy, of endearing confidence. It will only be that as we as fathers reflect the very character of God in our homes. As we as believers can cry, Abba, Father, because of our sweet relationship with our Heavenly Father, based upon the very character of God, so our children will call upon God with the same joy, with the same confidence that we show to them when we're the loving Father that we ought to be, that by example we show them the very God that we love, so they in turn might trust in God, and they in turn might be able to cry out to Him, Abba, Father they saw a great example of a father in you and in me in our homes fathers let's be the example that God wants us to be it's the example of God the father be the example that we ought to be by striving to seek to raise our children to the glory of God by being like God, witnessing of Him in our homes, day by day, 
so our children may indeed rejoice. We call as dad, we call upon God as their Abba, Father. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, Father God, that you've not given us the spirit of bondage again under fear. Father, you have given us the adoption of sons whereby we are able to call unto you, Abba, Father. Father, since today is Father's Day, may we reflect your character as our Heavenly Father, as fathers in our homes, to our children, so they might experience that freedom from bondage, that freedom from fear, that intimate relationship of love that we have with you in our homes for your glory. Bless now as we dismiss, we pray. In Jesus' name.